Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. I want to start out by just sharing a story that's going to enlighten you on what an amazing husband that I am. What the heck are you laughing for? They saw the four-wheeler video. Okay, well, you can see who's seen it. Anyway, hey, she lived to tell about it, so everything's fine. But, (laughs) thanks, Robin, you've really set it up even better. Chelsea and I had been married for literally like a week and a half. We got home from our honeymoon, and I guess we were already bored with marriage, so we thought, you know, what's the next best thing to do? Let's go buy a puppy. So we immediately go two weeks into our um, new marriage, and we buy a chocolate lab. And so with that, we were getting ready to install these underground fences. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the wire underground with the little flags all in the thing. And so I had worked tirelessly all day long and had finally accomplished it, got it put in. And so then we had this bright idea. I thought, you know what? I I really feel bad about putting this on a dog's neck before we realize what they're getting themselves into. And so I said, I think we should try it out first and let's see what it feels like. And so I immediately gave the collar to Chelsea. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Time out. I decided to go first. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And so I immediately, I hold this collar in my hand and I take off towards the flags or the ribbons. And all of a sudden, as I got close and I crossed over it, I screamed bloody murder. And I probably, with my drama, I threw the collar and was grabbing my arm and doing all this. And so Chelsea flipped out. I said, well, honey, now it's your turn. And she said, okay. So she does the same thing. And so she takes off walking towards the fence. And as she gets closer, her reaction was a little more dramatic than mine. Obviously, there was a lot more squealing. There was screaming. And there was this. she does this running in place thing when stuff happens. And so immediately, I'm sure she probably threw it as well. And so we both... At surface value, experienced the same thing. There was one big difference. I'm no dummy. I staged every bit of my response. I wasn't holding on to that collar to get shocked. And so I had it sort of turned around the other way. And so I just screamed and pretended that I got struck. She's not quite as smart as I am. She got electrocuted. And so needless to say, our response on the surface seemed the exact same. The reaction that came out of our mouth was just as intense as the others, but there was one difference. I said something based off nothing. What she screamed was based off what had happened to her. 
What she screamed was because she had experienced the shock factor, if you would. And see, I told you I was a great husband. But if you remember looking back last week, I know that story, while it seems funny, I don't think there's a better story to set up what we're gonna talk about today. And it so parallels what we looked at last week in the Gospel of John. And if you remember, we talked last week that a relationship with Jesus should produce something. And we challenged you as a follower of Christ that if you are truly, genuinely following Jesus, is going to produce love. It's gonna produce the ability to honor people, to outdo one another by honoring each other. And then the last thing we talked about was serving each other. All of that is done not in order to earn God's love, but out of reflection of being loved by God. And so James, what you're gonna see today in James chapter two, if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and start turning there. But in James chapter two, he's essentially gonna teach the same thing that Jesus taught. However, James is a little more in your face. So for all of you that have been excited about going back to the book of James, welcome, here we go. And what you're gonna see today is that how closely this resembles what Jesus was talking about last week about the disciples. But I always wanna be careful with this because there's something that, that we need to be careful with before we start studying what James is gonna talk about today. The one thing that I want to be very careful of that I don't want you to misunderstand is don't think that James is teaching today that salvation comes by works. You can't work for your salvation. You can't be good enough. And so don't take what we're gonna say today and, and go back out of here and saying, well, that little guy up there on the stage told me that I've gotta do this, I've gotta do this, I've gotta do this in order for God to love me. That's not at all what James is gonna be teaching today. And also, I don't want you to think that James is putting works into a category over here and faith in a category over here. And so I wanna make it very, very clear that what we need to understand today, that when we look at James's teaching, is that saving faith produces work. Saving faith equals work. The same way that Chelsea getting shocked by a collar produced a scream and a yell, that's exactly the same thing that happens to somebody who experiences true faith or saving faith in Jesus. And also, I want you to understand that faith and works, they just go together. They're one of the same. Faith and works go together. And so what you're gonna hear today is that James is going to talk about faith in two different categories. He's gonna talk about saving faith, and he's gonna talk about dead faith. Saving faith, or life-giving faith, and dead faith. And so I want you to read with me. We're gonna start in verse 14 of chapter two, and you're gonna see very quickly, I love how James teaches. I love the simplicity of it. He starts out today by asking a question, then he's gonna give an example, and then he's gonna give the answer to that question based off the example that he shared. So in James chapter two, I want you to start by reading with me in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save them? 
Welcome back to the book of James, everybody. Can that say faith save them? So just for reference, I do wanna flip back. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just gonna read it with what Jesus challenged the disciples with last week, and I want you to listen to the parallel. John chapter 13, 34 through 35, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you remember last week, we talked about the world outside, the world in here will know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, not by what t-shirt we wear, not by what church we promote, not by what bracelet we wear, not by what stickers on our car. And take it a step further, they will know we're disciples not based off the words that come out of our mouth. They're only gonna know that we are his disciples by how we love each other. How we love each other. And so keep reading. Back in James chapter two, verses 15 and 16. So here's the example that James gives. If a brother or a sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? So what James is emphasizing here is the fact that if there's someone in need and all we offer is words, what good is it? Because the truth of the matter is, is words contribute nothing to help towards the problem. Words don't get somebody warm. Warm doesn't, or words don't put food in somebody's stomach. And so what James is wanting us to understand is you may say you have faith, but if you aren't taking care of the people who need help, then do you really have faith? You see, remember last week, going back again, Jesus talked about that. He said that a true believer will take care of each other. That disciples of Christ will take care of one another. And so what we see in this one, two verses, telling someone, good luck, and I hope it gets better. Does that help anything? Pastor Greg Worley always says that hope is not a plan. So if we're just telling someone we hope they get better, we're simply just wiping our hands of responsibility of taking care of that individual, which is completely disobedience to what God has called us to do. So this type of faith, this type of faith that has no actions, James clearly writes out what kind of faith it is. Look at verse 17. In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Faith by itself is dead, which means it has no life, which means there are no living traits of life for someone who claims to have faith but doesn't do anything with it. 
And for us as the New Testament church, this concept should absolutely shake us to the core. And here's why. Because this type of faith that James is talking about is creating such a false sense of security in millions of people across the country. This particular faith that James is talking about, faith without works, this dead faith is creating such a false sense of security for people across our country and the world for that matter. And with that being said, I wanna share with you in this context what the word faith means. The word faith in this context, it means to believe in the existence of God, believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and believe that Jesus is life, you believe in his death, you even believe in the resurrection. And so if faith is defined by that definition, probably the large majority of every person in this room would say, then based off that theology, then I have faith. I believe all of that. I believe all that to be true. I believe there's a God. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that Jesus came and died to take away the sins of the world. I believe all that between my ears. And so before you get too ahead of yourself, look at what verse 19 says. I love James. He had to be a smart aleck. You believe that God is one. Good. Some of your Bibles probably say, well. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You say, well, well, pastor, but this has to be different. This, this word believe has to be different for what a demon believes versus what a Christian believes. Because I've always been told that if I just believe all of those things about God, that I'm born again, that I will go to heaven, that I will spend eternity in heaven with God and all of my family members that I've lost. But what we have to understand is the belief that is talked about here with the demons, you know what it is that the demons believe? They believe that there's one God. They believe that Jesus is the son of God. They believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They believe all of the same theology that you and I believe, but if you notice what it says next, they believe and they what? They shudder, which means they tremble, which means they are scared to death. You know why they're scared to death? Because they're not placing their finished faith in what Jesus came to accomplish, and they are fearful of their eternal damnation forever separated from God, and they are fearful because God has all authority over them. They believe all of the same things. If they were to take a theology test, honestly, they would score higher than the large majority of us in this room. They know more about the word of God than we do. They have all of the knowledge that they need to claim to have this faith, this dead faith. Now, why that should shake us to the core 
I wanna read some commentary that I found this week from people who are a lot smarter than me. And I want you to listen to what it says. The church is now teaching the idea that acknowledgement of the gospel as being true and sufficient for salvation. We have gone as far as saying that not denying God is the same as trusting him. This type of teaching is a continued delusion and will send people to eternal damnation the same eternal damnation that the demons fear. Then it goes on to say, salvation has been diluted to the extent that salvation is nothing more than a casual acknowledgement of the facts about Christ with no intentions of permanent commitment to him, his word, or his will. What that is saying is that a relationship with Jesus is much more than knowing about him. You can answer all of the right questions. You can check all of the boxes. But if it's nothing more than a belief in your head or in the terms of James, a faith in your head, and it produces nothing, the Bible said it's dead. So if what I just read, if this is how you would define your faith, and what I mean by that is based off of just being able to answer all the questions. James says your faith is dead if it simply stops at answering questions. And if your faith is dead, then there is no eternal life. If your faith is dead, then there is no eternity with God the Father. Listen to what John writes in 1 John. And, and I told you today you were gonna be welcomed back to the book of James. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. And I know a reading such as that may cause some of you just to have this pit in your stomach because maybe you would profess with your mouth that you believe in Jesus. Maybe you've raised a hand, maybe you filled out a card, maybe you've even gone through the waters of baptism. But yet your life lacks the willingness and the surrender to follow Jesus with all that you are. John says we're liars that we can check all the boxes. And so while dead faith has no life, there is a living faith. It comes through faith in Jesus. And that faith 
brings forth a supernatural life that doesn't make sense. If you go back to verse 18, James says here, he says, but someone will say, show you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. I want us to look specifically at the statement James makes. He says, I will show you faith by my works. I'm not just gonna talk about it, I'm gonna live about it. That word show in this context, it literally means to expose to the eyes, to give evidence of a proof or a thing. And so simply stated, James wants us to know that saving faith is much more than words. Saving faith is much more than just talking about it. It's backing up what you talk about. But I want you to hear me when I say this, this lifestyle, this ability to back up what we talk about is only possible by walking with Jesus. It's only possible by surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you and submitting to that authority, submitting to the word of God, because we can't be good enough in our flesh apart from Jesus Christ. So the only way that we produce these works is by falling more in love with Jesus and knowing more about Jesus and submitting to the authority of the hand of God. And look, that's not always easy. We're oftentimes told to love people that in our flesh, we don't care to love. And all those who didn't laugh, you're all trying to be super spiritual. You all got that people in your life that you don't wanna love. And so I was, I was trying to come up with the words to explain what saving faith is. When I was trying to come up with the words to try to communicate to you what James is saying here, what is saving faith all about? I was studying on Tuesday and and I began, I got so frustrated because you all know I'm not a wordsmith. I mean, Christy, I went to North Hall. I make up half the words I say. But as I was trying to just sort of put into words what saving faith means, what saving faith looks like, I got on my face and I said, God, I need your help. Because God, I don't know how to communicate this. And you know what the Holy Spirit of God says? I got you. He said, I've already written about it. I've already told them in my word what saving faith looks like. So son, just read what I've written. And so what I wanna do is it may be a little awkward for some of us, but I don't want you flipping in your Bible I don't want you flipping pages. Matter of fact, it's gonna be super awkward because I'm just gonna read some passages of scripture to you. 
And I'm gonna trust that the word of God can do what I can't do. And that's cut to the core of who we are. And so I want everybody's eyes closed. And I just simply want you to listen to these several passages of scripture that I'm gonna read. And I want you to see and examine your heart based off what we're gonna read from the word of God. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Then we keep reading. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And lastly, you'll recognize the first part of this verse and then I want you to listen to the back end of it. This is how that we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But here's the good news. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. And this is how we know we are in him. I want you to look at me. The bottom line is that saving faith brings forth supernatural transformation that is hard to comprehend. But what I want you to know 
Is it the saving faith that we just read about that produces the good fruit? It's available to every person in this room. And for some of you this morning, you would say, but Brian, uh, I've been good. I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And we get in this comparison trap as to I'm not as bad as that person. Some of you may even look at me and you may know some of my past and you can say, well, I haven't even done the things he's done. I coached basketball. I never got teed up as much as that guy. And so you may in your mind think you, well, I've gone to church my whole life. Back in the day, I never missed a day of Sunday school class. I memorized all the scriptures that I was supposed to in Awana. Brian, I've even went through the baptismal waters and, and celebrated. If your faith is explained beginning in the word I, you've missed it. Faith is explained by him and only him. God has changed me. And this faith is available to everyone. And you may in your mind going, well, I've checked all the boxes. I've done everything that I think I need to do. I've influenced people in my community. But can I tell you today that if you don't have a relationship with him, your faith is the same as the demon's. And I love you enough to tell you the truth because I don't want you to ever wake up apart from God and say, why didn't Pastor Brian ever tell me? I love you enough to tell you. Your eternity is not based off anything you've done. And so maybe you're in that category of being that good person. You've checked the boxes. You've done everything you felt like you needed to do to obtain heaven. And maybe on the surface, it looks like you got it all together. Or maybe you're on the flip side of the coin. And you would say, there ain't no way God gonna love me. There ain't any way that this saving faith can be for me because of the life that I'm living now. There's no way this saving faith can be offered to me because of, of what I've done, what I am doing currently. There's no way that that's possible. And so we have totally both ends of the spectrum, the good guy and then the rebellion, the rebel. But here's what I love about what James unpacks in verses 20 through 26. I'm not gonna read it, but just for the sake of time, he, he uses the example of Abraham to begin with. And some of you, if you grew up in church, you hear Abraham, and you immediately start singing. Father Abraham, amen, huh? Y'all know what I'm talking about, see? That's all y'all churchgoers. And we read about Abraham, and we know that, that God promised Abraham everything. We know that Abraham was used all throughout the Old Testament. Abraham was admonished by so many people. But we also have to understand Abraham was not perfect. And what was accredited to Abraham as being pleasing in God's sight was when God called him to sacrifice his son. 
And because Abraham trusted God more than his plan, he was willing to place his son on the altar. And God, in response of seeing Abraham's faith, he provided a sacrifice that didn't have to be Isaac. And when you read about that, you can see it in verse 22. We're not gonna read it for the sake of time. But it's said that Abraham's faith was active because he had on a cool t-shirt. Abraham's faith was active because he was open-handed with what God had given him. His faith was active with his words. Then if you keep reading, it said that Abraham was called a friend of God. So there's Abraham, the church guy, the one that's checked all the boxes. But then for the rebel, he mentions Rahab. She wasn't a nun. She was a prostitute. There's no need to explain a lot of the details there. But what we see in the life of, of Rahab in the book of Joshua is that Rahab, she turned her back on her old way of living. And we read in Joshua where she took some of God's messengers and she hid them in her home. She chose obedience over, to God over the lifestyle of rebellion that she was living in. She trusted God's direction more than her own. And what you have to understand is that had she been caught, it would have cost her her life and would have cost her an entire family. Sounds a little like Abraham, doesn't it? Would have cost him everything, would have cost her everything. So when we look at Abraham and Rahab, they couldn't have any more contrasting past than these two. But here's the beauty. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Their faith was the same. Their faith was the same. Abraham's good witness didn't define him. And neither did Rahab's past. You see, what defined both of them was the faith that was produced as a result of a relationship with God. And I don't want you to miss this. This is mind-blowing to me. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews talks about the heroes of the faith. And of course, we expect Abraham to be in there, right? Don't stop at Abraham. Read down about four more verses. Rahab, a prostitute, was considered a hero of the faith. That's something only God's love can do. He can take the best of persons that has checked all the boxes and he can take the most rebellious hellion on planet earth. And through faith in a relationship with God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, both can be considered a hero of the faith. That's something only God can do. 
And so as black, as white as I know how today, I want to extend the invitation for you to follow Jesus and experience saving faith. And I want you to know that it's available to anyone and everyone. And I got a little more, but I don't know that we go any further. Because I know without a doubt there's many in the room today that you're gonna not to be the bearer of bad news, but guess what? We gonna die. 10 out of 10 people gonna die. And you're gonna stand before the judgment seat of God. And if God asks you, why? If your answer begins with, I went to church, I read my Bible, I went to Sunday school, I wore a WWJD bracelet. If it begins with the word I, you're headed down the wrong path. But if it says, hey, why do I let you in? You say, God, you offered me a relationship with you through your son. And that's what I trust. I trust what you did. You see, this afternoon, I get the opportunity to do a funeral. of a gentleman that I went to visit four years ago in the hospital. I believe at that time he was at the age of 78. And I began to share the gospel with Mr. Darrell. And as clear as I've ever heard a man communicate it, he said, I never trusted him. And to be real honest with you, this is a guy that was at church all the time. That was not the answer that I expected. And I know y'all look and you say, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to be prepared for that stuff. No, I stood there speechless. And I began to explain to him the gospel. And I said, Mr. Darrell, if you're ready to place your faith in this today, then let's pray together. And he reached out. And he grabbed my hand and he cried out to God to give him life. And just a week or two later, he was baptized right here. I wonder how many people could relate to that story saying, I've checked all the boxes, but I don't know. I want this saving faith. 
I would say I believe, but there's no fruit in my life. Can I tell you, you can't work hard enough to produce it. You've gotta let the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.